Welcome to the Prayer Mentor Podcast, where we are empowering Christian leaders to pray for the harvest. We pray your prayer life will be deepened by this podcast. Today we're continuing our series on praying for the kingdom, and specifically we're going to be looking at the four ways Jesus prayed for his followers. Five times in his prayer with the Father the night before he's crucified in John 17. Jesus makes reference to those whom the Father gave him. And we see actually in verse 12 of John 17, Jesus makes reference to the fact that he kept them. It says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And what we see is that Jesus, he kept his followers. Um, He prayed for his followers in the name the Father gave him. And I want to suggest that we have men and women that Jesus has placed in our hands. He's entrusted to us. If you're a father, you've been entrusted with your wife and your children. Um, If you're a grandparent, uh, you've been entrusted with your adult children, your grandchildren. If you lead a small group, God has entrusted to you the members of that small group. If you're a pastor, the members of your church, he has placed them in your hands. Um, It's a stewardship and he has given them to you. You may be a pastor of thousands. You may not know all the people by name that God's entrusted to you. But you can pray for your key leaders who in turn will pray for their leaders and who in turn will pray for your congregation. And there are just times, pastors, when we have large churches, we pray for our church as a group. We see that Jesus kept his followers. Um, He protected his followers and not one was lost except the son of perdition. That is Judas. Peter, who the enemy sifted as wheat, um, did not lose his faith. He did not take his life. Um, he, um, he denied the Lord three times, but he didn't fall away. Why? Because Jesus prayed for him that his faith would prevail. And so we as leaders of our families, um, lay leaders in the church, pastors, we have a responsibility to pray for those the Father has placed in our hands. Now, as we've talked about praying for the kingdom, I suggested you begin with affirming Yahweh Adonai, the Sovereign Lord. What is the work He's given you to do? What is His calling? And you declare that. Um, Then you affirm who are the people God's placed in your hands. And then you affirm the heavenly resources that the Father's giving you. As you pray for the kingdom, you're declaring the victory of Jesus in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. You're declaring what Jesus is going to do um, for the focus of your prayer and, and for your church, for your family, for your small group, in your neighborhood, in the life of your person of peace. And then... Um, You serve notice uh, to the enemy, and um, you say, let them go. They belong to Jesus, 
and then you call forth the harvest. Um, I've suggested that we pray for the lost, and there's five prayer points that are very effectual found in Luke 10. And then now we pray for the people God's entrusted to us, those he's placed in our hands. Many years ago, I was teaching an all-day seminar, and the pastor's wife was present. She led the prayer altar ministry at the end of every service. And she was there at every service, three services on Sunday morning. And she would pray for um, anywhere from um, two to three people every service. And as I talked about being faithful to pray for people, I could just see this load that she was carrying. Um, her, her shoulders were burdened down with praying. I would imagine for dozens of dozens of people over the previous um, six months who had all come forward. This woman was faithful. She believed in prayer, but it was overwhelming to her. And I suggested to her that the Lord required of her that she would pray for those he's placed in her hands. And that would be her team of intercessors. I suggested that maybe she listen to the Spirit's direction and, and maybe the Spirit would have her pray for two weeks regularly for those who came forward and then she let them go. It, it's interesting to me when I travel around the world and I teach on prayer, I will usually have someone approach me and say, Clyde, will you be my prayer partner? Will you pray for me? And Frankly, I have about 50 people God's entrusted to me. My family, several teams that I work with, mentees that I have, people of peace that I'm reaching out to. And I, I look at them and I just say, you know, um, I would be glad to pray for you right now. And I will pray for you as the Spirit brings you to mind. But I cannot make a commitment to pray for you regularly. And I pray for them right then. And then I'm true to what I say. As they come to mind, I'll ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want me to pray for them? And I'll pray for them. But I don't assume responsibility of an ongoing regular prayer like Jesus did for his followers where I'm keeping them, I'm guarding them so that they can um, be fruitful in their Christian lives. So how does Jesus pray for his his followers. We see that Jesus prayed four ways for his followers in John 17. Number one, in verse 11 and 12, we see that Jesus prayed for protection. Number two, in verse 17, we see that Jesus prayed for sanctification. Number three, in verse 24, we see that Jesus prays for God's presence and his glory to be revealed. And, and then we we see in verse 21 through verse 23 that he's praying that they would be one, that there would be a unity in, among all of his followers. And so let's begin with this first um, aspect of prayer that Jesus prayed. It's found um, in verses 11 and 12, and Jesus is praying for protection. He says in verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, 
that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures, um, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And so what we see here is that Jesus is asking the Father, he's praying for his followers, that he would keep him by the Father's name. Now, when I first read this passage, I just assumed it was by the name of Jesus, Jesus' name. And as I began meditating on the passage, I saw that in verse 11 and 12, twice Jesus makes reference to the Father's name. He says, your name. And so the question is, what is the Father's name? And I'm going to suggest to you that the Father's name is Yahweh. It's the personal name of God in the Hebrew Scriptures. And I'm going to suggest, go another step further here, and suggest that specifically Jesus is making reference here to Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. In my own meditation of Scripture, I came to the conclusion that this name, the Father's name, was Yahweh Sabaoth. And the picture in my mind is this is Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, who's the commander of an army of a host of angels. When Jesus was born, Gabriel the angel is announcing the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. And then it says in Luke chapter 2 that suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts. And so how does um, God protect us? Well, he's the Lord of hosts. He's Yahweh Sabaoth, and he gives charge to his angels to guard us and to keep us. The first time I ever taught this, I was um, teaching to, at a, a men's retreat, and these were all conservative evangelical men. And I, I was a little fearful. What would these men say if I was to suggest that the name of God, the name of the Father, was Yahweh Sabaoth? Well, they responded very positively, and when I was done at a break, um, a man came up to me and says, Clyde, um, my wife and I, we attend a fellowship with Messianic Jews, and um, in that fellowship, they never say the name of Yahweh out loud. Um, the name of Yahweh is too sacred to speak out loud, and so they make reference to the name. Hashem. And whenever they're talking about Yahweh, they will say Hashem. And I noticed, well, here's Jesus, um, the good rabbi. Uh, he is saying, your name, your Hashem. Now, if we look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 2, we see this very thing. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 2, it says, David rose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, um, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And as we see it in 2 Samuel, 
the author makes reference to the name Hashem of the Lord of hosts. So I'm going to suggest to you that Jesus protected his followers by praying um, Yahweh Sabaoth, and by that name he would ask the Father to send his angels to guard, to guard um, his followers and to protect them and to keep them from the evil one. We see later in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's the context that Jesus is praying here. By the Father's name, he kept them, he guarded them, and he's now praying, Father, by your name, keep them. And then in verse 15, keep them from the evil one. And so when we look at those gods entrusted to us, we need to pray for their protection. And what I will do um, often is I will quote Psalm 91. It's a warfare prayer. Um, it is a powerful prayer to pray against the enemy and to pray protection for those God has placed in our hands. And so let me read it for you. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will deliver him. I will protect him, lift him up to a high place out of the reach of the enemy because he is called on my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So what I will do when I pray for my wife, my children, my grandchildren, when I pray for my mentees, for my team as I work with ISI to reach international students, I will listen to the Spirit for a verse that comes from Psalm 91. And then I will pray that the Lord of hosts will protect them, that he will give charge to his angels to guard them. And I'll claim one of the verses and pray it specifically for them. God has called you and me to pray for protection
for those who he's placed in our hands. Just as we see the model of Jesus, of him praying for their protection, of him protecting them while he was alive with them, and now as he's getting ready to leave, he's praying, keep them from the evil one. So the very first thing we do as we pray for those God's entrusted to us, we're praying for their protection. The second thing we do is we pray for their sanctification. And in John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now I want to say to you that the word of God is powerful. As we listen to it, as we read it, as we study it, as we memorize it, as we meditate on it, it renews our mind and it transforms our lives. It sanctifies us. It makes us holy. Uh, there was one summer in my life when I was a young Christian, I felt led to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. And every Friday night, I would go to the church. The youth pastor gave me a key, and I'd go into um, the youth building, and, and I would lock myself in a room, and I would memorize scripture. I'd spend, I would memorize in, those, in two hours, 12 to 28 verses. And then every day, I spent an hour studying the Word of God. And um, when I woke up in the morning, I was quoting the verses. When I went to bed at night, I was quoting the verses. As I drove through the day, I turned off the radio and I just focused on God's Word. My life was changed in that summer as I memorized Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I was sanctified. It was an incredible experience. And so we pray for those God's entrusted to us that the Spirit of God would sanctify them as they meditate on God's Word, as they listen, read, study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word. I want to suggest to you that the Spirit sanctifies us in another way as well, and that is through the hardships of life. And in Hebrews 12, we read that we are to endure the hardships of life because God is treating us as his children and he is making us holy. That Jesus is the author of our faith. He's writing our story. And Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. Um, he is sanctifying us. He's making us holy through the hardships of life. And so I will pray through the themes of Hebrews 12 for my family for my mentees, for the teams that I lead, even for my people of peace who have become brand new believers. And in Hebrews 12, in verse 7, it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as his sons. The passage talks about God treating us as his children. He's disciplining us. And then it says, in verse 10, for God, for they disciplined us, these were our parents, um, for a short while as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. And then in verse 11, for the moment 
All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now here's what I want to suggest to you, is that the people God's entrusted to us, the people we love, our family, um, our mentees, the people in our small group, the people in our church, there are seasons where we go through hardship. And in that hardship, the, their purpose is God is being intentional to sanctify us, to make us holy. He's being intentional so that in that hardship, there is a fruit of, a peaceful fruit of righteousness being developed in our lives. Now we go on in a little bit farther in the passage and what we see is that we can fall short of God's grace. He's treating us as his children, he's disciplining us, but we can reject it. And so it says in verse, um, verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or ungodly like Esau. You see, in the hardships of life, we can become bitter. We fall short of the grace of God. We don't lose our salvation, but we're bitter. Um, we're not letting God be at work Jesus be at work, writing our story, making us holy, um, bringing about that fruit of peaceful righteousness. What we're doing is we're kicking against God and we become bitter and we defile others around us in our bitterness. For some of us, we become sexually immoral. Um, we are looking for an escape through the, from the hardship and we give our sec ourselves to sexual immorality. For others of us, we just turn away from God altogether. And see, friends, God is at work. Through the Word of God, He makes us holy. In the hardships of life, He makes us holy. And so I pray for my family. I pray for my teams. I pray for my mentees, that they would look away from everything else unto Jesus who's the author and the perfecter of faith. That it would be the hand of Jesus that is sanctifying them um, and chastening them in his hand alone. That the devil would have no place to put so much pressure on them that they would fall short of God's grace through a bitter spirit, through sexual immorality or godlessness. You see, there's two knives that can be used here when God is sanctifying us. There is the knife of the devil, not that we're sanctified through his knife. The devil's knife is a back alley knife. It's dirty, it's full of infection. And it thrashes, it seeks to rob, kill, and destroy, to make us fall short of the grace of God, um, to fall into sexual immorality, or to abandon God altogether in godlessness. But Jesus' hands, the one who's writing our, our story, who is the author and the perfecter of faith, Jesus has the hand of a scout, of a surgeon, and in his hand is a scalpel, and he is true. The scalpel is 
and it has been um, purified and uh, it is sure and it takes the, the impurities out of us so that we can be holy. I love this picture. I, I heard it from Ed Savoso in a tape I listened to back in the 80s and it's just so remarkable and so fits the work of sanctification that Jesus is doing in our lives in Hebrews 12. And so I want to suggest the second thing you do as you pray for those God's placed in your hands is you pray that as they read God's Word, the Spirit of God will sanctify them. Pray that in the hardships of life it will be Jesus and Jesus alone who is the author of their faith, the perfecter of their faith, who will sanctify them as he chastens them and they will share in the holiness of Christ. They will there will be this peaceful fruit of righteousness yielded in their lives. So number one, we're praying for protection. Number two, we're praying for sanctification. And number three, we are praying for the presence and the glory of God. Let's go back to John chapter 17, verse 24. It says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is praying for his followers and he says, I want them to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Now, when I pray for my children, my mentees, for my teams, I pray for the presence of God in their lives. I will often use the two prayers in Ephesians um, that Paul wrote uh, to pray for those God's entrusted to me. Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, I pray that you would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Uh, the word wisdom there has reference to who God is. Uh, the word revelation has reference to um, encounters with God. And when it says that you may know him better, the word there, epigonosco, uh, means to know him by experience. You know, when I look at a glass of water and I'm thirsty, I can look at that glass and say intuitively, that glass will quench my thirst. Um, but when I take the glass of water and I drink the water and that cool water enters my mouth and my throat, um, now I'm experiencing it. And I want to suggest that when Paul says that you may know him better, that um, it's an experience that we have with Jesus. Oftentimes, when I'm praying for my family and those God's entrusted to me, I'll say, surprise them with your presence today and give them encounters with you. I'm praying for the presence of God. And then in Ephesians 3, I'm praying that they would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being, that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith that being rooted and grounded in the love of God, they would have power to understand with all the saints the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth, 
and to know by experience the love of God. I, I want those that God's entrusted to me day by day to experience the presence of Jesus. You know, I can't make them um, read God's word. I can't make them pray. And I'm going to suggest to you, if I ask God to do that, sometimes I, I, my motive is I'm trying to manipulate them through a third party and have God do it. But you see, God's given us the Spirit of God as we pray for the kingdom. And the Spirit of God can come and invade their lives and give them wisdom to know who God is, revelation to have encounters with God that they might know God experience, by experience. The Spirit of God can strengthen them with power in their inner being that even when they're discouraged and they're depressed, they can know the presence of Jesus by faith. And the Spirit of God can give them power to know the love of God for them. So, I pray for the presence of God. What we've seen so far is that in the lives of those God's entrusted to us, one, we pray for protection. Two, we pray for sanctification. Three, we pray for the presence of Jesus. And four, we pray for unity. Verse 21, um, Jesus is praying. He says that they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be per become perfect, perfectly one, so that the world would know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Jesus is praying for unity. You know, there's many things that unite us as a church. Um, when we do evangelism, churches will unite and rally together to reach the lost. When we care for the or churches will unite and rally together. But I want to suggest to you that in Jesus' prayer, what he's praying for is that we would be abiding in Jesus. And in our oneness with Jesus, we would be one with the Father. And in our oneness with the Father, the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are one with each other. When we have this oneness, the world will know that the Father sent Jesus and that the Father loves the world. Something wonderful happens there. And so we see the model of Jesus is that he prayed for his followers. He prayed for protection, sanctification. His, they would know his presence would be where he is. And they, he prayed for unity. Prayed for unity several times within the passage that they would be one so that the world would know that the Father sent the Son and the Father loves them. We are called to pray for those God's entrusted to us. What we're bringing um, as we pray to the, for the kingdom is we're bringing forth the resource of the kingdom, angels to war on behalf of those God's given to us, the Spirit to minister to them, and to reveal the presence of God. We're praying for um, the ministry of the Spirit to renew their minds as they study God's Word. We're praying for the ministry of Jesus as the author and perfecter of faith to make them holy. 
May the Lord bless you as you pray for the kingdom of God, for kingdom resources in the lives of those God's entrusted to you. Mm -hmm.